0: welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? My name is Naomi Schaefer Riley, and I'm a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute.
1: And I am Ian Rowe, also a resident fellow at AEI.
0: And today we are excited to have on our podcast, one of my favorite people in the world of education, maybe one of my favorite people ever, Ben Chavis. He was the principal for many years of the American Indian Public Charter School in Oakland, California. The story of how he turned that school around is amazing, and I encourage you all to read about it. But it became, I think, the top public school in the country according to the Washington Post rankings. And Ben has also done all sorts of other interesting things. A number of years ago, I visited him on a farm where he lives in North Carolina, and he was doing math camp for kids outside, which is one of the reasons that we have brought him on. We wanted to talk about math, which is very unpopular these days, Ian.
1: Well, suddenly math has become racist, white supremacy culture is within math, we've got to reduce standards in order for poor kids. So Ben, have you been hearing about the trends around math and suddenly that even math is inaccessible to kids of color to excel?
2: Oh, yes. A couple of months ago, I read a report out of California about their new math training workbook that they've developed for teachers to ensure that math is less racist and less white supremacist. Eighty-some page report with not one math problem in it (laughs) on math. (laughs) Are you sure
1: sure there were 80-some pages? Because maybe it was actually 62.
2: Oh, maybe it was 62. (laughs) Who knows in California. And people who can't do math, who don't like math, who want excuses for everything, it may have been 62. 64 69 who
1: knows No no but this is a, this is a serious thing the bill and Melinda Gates Foundation they just put in a million dollars to a program called Equitable Math and this is literally what it says quote white supremacy culture shows up in math classrooms when the focus is on getting the right answer end quote Like how does that sound to you that wait does 7 plus 2 not equal 9 well, it sounds ridiculous to me. I mean, if you look at if you look at the U.S. in
2: math a couple of years ago, I know we were ranked 38th in the world. And I don't know how you can set white supremacy when the Japanese, the Chinese, the Koreans, the Singaporeans, they're the best at mathematics and also the Indians. I mean, you know, when India shifted its universities in the ninth, early 1960s to focus on math and science and technology, when you put Indians, whites, and Asians together, Whites are at the bottom. And so I don't know how it could be white supremacy. Are we going to say it now that it's Asian supremacy? Go to any math department in the United States. I looked up University of Virginia, BMI, Virginia Military Institute, and I contacted a couple of them. I even contacted, well, George Mason University, I contacted their math department before your show two days ago. Of course, none of them would speak. No, they have no comment. That's amazing. Math has no comment. Well, you know. But I also looked at their faculty. And when I looked at the faculty in each of those three universities, did you know most of them, I couldn't find any white people in there who were born in the U.S. hardly? Most of them were Asian. There was one African, but of course he was not from the United States. (laughs) They're Asians. And the whites you do have in the math departments at universities are Eastern European. So I have not figured out how math can be so white supremacist when we don't even have Americans teaching math hardly anymore.
0: So one of the things, Ben, I, I remember, Ben, you you told me that when you're dealing with kids who are poor, who don't have a lot of education in their family, that it's really important that math may be the most important thing to teach them. And I think you actually said that you need to teach these kids to act like immigrants. And I wanted to see if you could sort of explain a little bit about what you meant by that. Why is math so important, especially for poor kids. And what do, what do you mean by trying to teach them how to act like immigrants?
2: Well, to me, math is the least racist, least sexist academic discipline there is because it's all about the numbers. For example, my son, he's head, and I'm going to be a little biased here, talking about my son and myself. When I was a kid, I was a runner. I was a lazy student in, you know, like Cape through, I mean, I didn't go to kindergarten. They didn't have it in North Carolina in those days, but I went to an all Indian school. And I was just a lazy kid, ran away in the first grade. We had a great principal. When I came back the next year, he re- made me repeat the grade. I just kind of shuffled through school, not really applying myself. But then I got into high school and I got into track and field running. And first time I ever excelled at anything. But running is based on a time. You could look at my half mile time or my mile time or two miles and say, oh, this kid can run in college. And if it hadn't have been for that, for using math, in cross country or track. So I, I would have never been able to go to college. That's what got me into college and never made honor roll in high school, but I made honor roll in college because I finally, I moved over into the, into the hard sciences. And I, I realized there was something I was good at. If I practiced. I became good at running because I practiced. I became better at math because I practiced my son, all of my kids, Naomi, I remember us talking about your kids and our kids and a story you told me about your husband once, but I, forced my kids every summer, just like the Chinese do in China, every summer I had my kids to do math from 8 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon, every day for a minimum of three weeks. And then also I did the same thing on Saturday. Every Saturday I had my kids a math tutor from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And I tell my kids, if I die tomorrow, I mean, if I die on Saturday. And we've had this, even our family. I see it. if I die or somebody in our family dies or a friend dies, we're going to go to the funeral on Saturday. You're going to come back on Sunday and do math.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I t- you are hardcore, Beth.
2: <laughs> well, well, let me show you how, how hardcore works. My son got a scholar, he got scholarship offers all over the country. He's a senior. I also held my son back in the ninth, in the first grade. I flunked the first grade. Best thing they ever to All my kids, I held them back one year, so all my kids are older because they're born in May and June, and they're. You know, but I use math to control that. I wanted my kids to be older than the other kids, so using math again, you see how I use it. I want my, but my son, ah, he got scholarship offers all over the country. Study economics. He took AP calculus as a junior. My son, he's like a Chinese immigrant. Now, the Chinese born in America, and people are going to say my comments are racist, but let me tell you, everybody brags about how smart the Chinese kids are in American math. They're not, my friends. I hate to tell you this. They're low, too, compared to the Chinese in China or compared to the Taiwanese. But we have to start working like the immigrants. In North Carolina, in my county, of Robeson County, the immigrant Mexican kids outperform the white, the black, the Indians, and the Asians
1: but it's not because of their ethnicity. It's because of the behaviors they're practicing, right? So so what are the behaviors that they're doing that are different from all the groups that you just mentioned? Well, <laughs> I noticed in my math camp, <laughs> the first
2: behavior I noticed is more Mexicans come than anyone else. And they're, not, and they're the smallest population. So the parents are more committed to this education. Another thing I noticed in doing this math camp for 10 years, I've had one Indian parent to bring me some food and every year, Mexicans bring me some food. <laughs> the blacks and the whites don't bring you anything. <laughs> I could add that up. It's all about the food. But no, they just have a, they have a different perspective. And math is truly an international language. That That's the one language that we speak worldwide. You can go but, anywhere. It doesn't matter.
1: So the proponents of this idea that math is racist, I mean, because it's, it's a little bit related to what you just said. So they say... The concept of mathematics being purely objective is unequivocally false, and teaching it is even much less so, end quote. So they're basically positing that not only is this idea of objectivity, math is racist, they're also saying that the people who are doing the math camps, they're racist too. So the whole thing is undermined by a lack of objectivity. Like, how do you respond to to that? Because, you know, we should... (laughs) We should air the arguments being put forth by the folks who are postulating. I
2: I think they bring up
1: some good points,
2: and I think we should apply their points to them. Could it be they are the racist? Could it be that they want to keep our kids ignorant? Could it be that they want to discriminate against our kids? What I've noticed about a lot of these people, like the school board member, Miss Virginia, who's introduced this bill, Mr. Ian than his kids? Is he also going to prevent his kids from taking advanced mathematics? But I've noticed there's a lot of people in education, teachers who are pro public school, who are pro union, they send their kids to private school. Yep. It's do as I say, not as I do. Yep. So If there's anyone's racist, it's the, the people who are proposing this nonsense. They want to deny the Ben Chavises the opportunity that I had because without math, my son. He would have never had the opportunities I had, and I would have never had the opportunities. And my father, who cannot read or write, but my father's very good at math. He's 93 years old, cannot read or write. He had to work when he was a child and couldn't go to school. He worked in the fields, but he's good at math. And as he grew up, he got into construction, and he can build your home. He's built some of the major buildings here in my hometown, but he can't read and write. But math changed his life also.
0: So Ben, I mean, obviously one... One thing here, I mean, the reason that so many immigrants are so committed to the idea of their kids getting a good education and also especially getting a good education in math is that it's a ticket to a middle-class life, the ticket to professional success. And I wonder how these people on the other side who are talking about how it's just a sign of white supremacy, what is going to be their answer? Because obviously the the market forces, I think it's going to be really hard to say to people who want to get a job at J.P. Morgan or get a job leading a construction company or any of these things that math really doesn't matter. You can just fudge it. So is it just that these kids are just not going to perform well and they're not going to end up getting that ticket? What do you see happening? Because it seems like there's going to be just a huge divide between the professional world and the educational world.
2: I think this is just my own opinion. Now, this is an opinion. This is not math-based. <laughs> I think, for example, the, the guy who's proposing this bill, he's nothing more than a, a politician. Here we are. He got us to do this podcast. He's a, you should read up on this guy. Very interesting guy. He's from New York. Who moved to Virginia. Even the State Board of Education spoke to her superintendent did not agree with him. And it's interesting, but he's supported by the progressive educators. He's supported by the teachers union. And when you look at the policy and his platform, there's nothing in his platform for students and academics. I read upon the guy, nothing. Everything he does, it has nothing to do with improving students' academic performance. It's all about him. And when you look at education and when you look at these people who are talking this nonsense or this racism and blaming, it's popular now. I can't even believe the time that I'm living in. It's like the twilight zone. It's like, I feel sorry for white people. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. (laughs) Here I am. I, I feel like I'm in 1960 again when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I couldn't go into a restaurant and a white restaurant. I couldn't go. I went to an all Indian school, but it wasn't. But my white friend couldn't come to my school either. Or my black friend, Noah, my black friend couldn't come to my school and my White friends coming not come to my school, so they were discriminated against. But what I feel like today is we are creating, we're saying some stupid stuff. It's just getting stupider. We're regressing back, but instead against minorities, it's against white. White started blame for everything today. Any problem and, and, that exists, it's some white person's fault. And right. I'm an Indian, and now I find myself taking up on white people. I'm like, that's nonsense.
1: Right. Well, there's a lot of animosity towards the Asian community as well. So, let me give you an opportunity to talk about a solution here. So, in New York City, as you probably know, there are these specialized high schools. I actually went to Brooklyn Tech. And actually, when I went to Tech, there were a lot of minority students. I loved going to high school. But this year, one of the schools, Stuyvesant, which is considered one of the best high schools in the country, I think once again, less than 10 Black students were admitted based on the specialized high school exam. And so, the mayor and others, their solution, is to just get rid of the exam that defines whether or not you make it. So I presume you're against that as a strategy. What should we be doing? How do we, without a quota focus, how do we ensure that more kids of all races have the ability to pass exams like these? Well, you know, what I did is I
2: was an athlete getting back to sports again. I'm going to be for cutting out these high schools when they cut out sports. That's what I always say. And what does that mean? Well, in sports, in the summer, we have basketball camps for the best basketball players. We have scholarships for the best football players. So these schools are very important because they bring the best academic minds together. Just like there's schools, there are schools in Florida just for sports all over the world. We have schools that focus on preparing kids just for sports or athletics. Well, we need these schools to prepare kids for math and science. And it's the best. It's fantastic. Instead of less, we need more. And we will get over this also. This is a phase. I really believe this is a phase in society that we're just going through. Like the KKK was a phase. We went through that phase. There's always going to be things that happen, but I, I truly believe that this is just a phase that we're going through and we'll get past it. But I don't believe they're gonna close these schools. I just can't imagine because it's gonna set us backwards. While we're talking about closing schools like this in Asia and Europe, they're expanding them.
1: Right. Oh no, no. One solution is definitely that there there should be more of these schools. But these folks aren't saying to close the schools. They're saying get rid of the exam as an objective measure. So
2: well, if you get rid of the exam, you're gonna close the school. When I say close it, you won't have this high performing, rigorous school to get into. Because if you get rid of the exam, you just start accepting everyone. If you put these people in see, it's not only getting rid of the exam, they're going to get rid of these teachers in these schools too. They're going to spread them out all over the city. They're going to get rid of the leadership in these schools. They're going to spread them out all over the city. It's like when I left Oakland, first thing they did is they got a new principal. They got new teachers. They modified the curriculum. And now the school in 2012 and 13 that was ranked the number one school in the nation is not even the number one school in Oakland anymore. It wow. took me a decade to create the best school in the United States, and it took them two years to destroy it. This is what happens.
1: Wow.
2: They're not just getting – and I didn't have an exam. What we did at American Indian is any parent can do this, and don't wait on the public school. Don't wait on the public school to do this parents can do this. You can get your daughters and sons and grandchildren in a math program during the summer. Get them in a math, get them in a science, get them in a robotics, get them in a reading, get them in some kind of summer activity. And the Chinese don't have a lot of money. When you look at them economically, they're some of the poorest people in the United States as a whole. But when I live in Oakland and I lived down in Chinatown, I live right in a Chinese community, what I would notice they had the kids at the churches. I never saw that many. Chi- you know, the most Chinese I ever saw at church was on Saturday when they did their math. <laughs> on <laughs> Sunday, there weren't that many in church. <laughs> but they sure didn't have enough wit to get that free facility on Saturday and every evening after school to teach math and science and, and reading. And when you'd go over to the Indian Community Center, we were teaching, Indians were teaching dancing and bead making. And the whites and the blacks were teaching rap and art. No kidding. I'm not joking. I remember walking around. I visit these places and I look at the contrast. The Mexican kids who came here at the summer programs that were designed for them was to teach their culture. And I used to ask the parents, I said, did you immigrate to this country to teach your Mexican kids on how to be Mexican? They'd laugh. They'd say, no, we don't want this mess. But you have to understand the reason they offer these programs. The reason they offer programs for Mexicans in the, how to the Mexican culture and American Indian culture is because a lot of people in the United States can't do math and teach math in these summer programs. That's the conclusion I came to, because when I offered a math program, you know what I found out? It was very difficult to hire people who could teach in, a, in the summer. And most of my teachers in the beginning that I got were white until I trained my Indian kids, my black kids, my Mexican kids who went through the program, and then they became my teachers. The people who get these summer jobs can't do math either, my friend, unfortunately. So that's why they're teaching self-esteem and why America is so racist because they can talk nonsense, but they can't teach math.
0: Do you have any plans for expanding math camp? Because, I mean, I have to tell you, Ian, like this was, you know, this was amazing. Like these kids were just, it was hot as anything down there. These, You know, Ben has transformed parts of his his farm, his barn into classrooms for kids. And it was the most hardcore math. <laughs> and outside there are cows mooing. <laughs> and this is how kids were spending weeks of their summer. It was incredible. Do you think there's an appetite for more of that? Can you can you replicate this program somehow?
2: Yeah, Manny Jules has asked me to come up to to Canada and and, and the guys also in New Zealand have asked me to do it.
0: These yeah. are other, I should say these are other Manny Jules is a leader of an Indian band in Canada. There's some indigenous folks in New Zealand that I know Ben has been in touch with. Go ahead.
2: Yes. And we all, Naomi and all of us, we all met together. And But yeah, they, they've asked, you know, what I find my problem is I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> that number thing, you know, it's a reality. I love the people now. You can be anything in America you want to be, you know, whatever sex you want to be. But buddy. I can't be 21 again. What's going on here?
1: You can identify as 21.
2: Oh, you can, you can identify as anything, but do it are two different things. <laughs> and, and there was something few, a few years ago, once I got my security, I finally had a little bit of money. I got my retirement. I got everything. And now I don't have the energy to do a whole lot. So the, sh- the point is, I'm not, as a matter of fact, I'm cutting back.
0: All right.
2: And I, I, I would love for someone to do what I do, And I'm going to share a little short story with you. You know, I have six kids. Very proud of that now. I've contributed my part to America. (laughs) But what I've asked every one of my kids to do, and I think these are the things that we can do that are so simple. I've asked all of my kids, I said, when you have kids and when you have grandkids, that you do the same thing for them that I did for you. That every Saturday that you will have math from nine to one o'clock and you will be tutored in math. You'll make sure your kids or your grandkids. And I said, if you do that, that's the best legacy I can leave for my kids and my ancestors. And I think it's that simple. And those are some of the things I see the Chinese and I harp on this a lot and the Indians, my friends, do is some really simple things that doesn't rely on the system. And I think we've become too dependent on the public school system and they're letting us down as they did in 1890. Now, remember, poor white and black couldn't get a really good public education at that time. And if you wanted one, you had to go through the church. And I think we've gone full circle and we're going to have to look at other institutions to provide our kids a good public education, a good education, because the public schools are just not doing the job. They become too political. They're just like the school board member who introduced this nonsense bill. It's all about politics. It's not about our kids. And that's very unfortunate from my perspective.
1: Wow. Well, let me just ask you, if you were Secretary Cardona, the new US Secretary of Education, given that, you know, most kids are in public schools, what would be your counsel, particularly around improving math for the country? I would do the opposite of what everyone else is doing.
2: You know, I would I would fund more schools like the high achievement schools in New York. I think we should fund, give them more money. I think we should, if we're going to forgive any college loans, let's forgive those kids who go and study math, science, and technology and who become teachers in those fields. I would also create a program for for, for military. I know this is going to offend a lot of people, but I think there's a lot of people who are in the military who retire 20 years that we need them in, in public public education as leaders, as principals and superintendents. I think the number one problem, the reason schools are so bad is what we've done is we've got the lowest level people are going into public education and social justice. These are not the smartest people. Go on any campus. You don't believe it. Just go on a campus and walk over to the education department or the social justice, or they call it criminal justice. like criminals need justice. What about the victim? Go to those departments. These are the people who have been put in charge of education. And that's why we have the problem. When I was a kid, Mr. Epps is he Indian. He'd been a veteran in World War II. He'd been a coach. He was a farmer. He had experience leading people. He had traveled all over the world. Even though it was on the government's dime as a veteran, he did not take any junk. And when I, was, when I, when I ran away in the first grade, he came by and told my grandma, well, when he comes back, I'll take care of him. Well, I went back the next year to school, he put me right back in the first grade. He said, boy, he said, you didn't do anything last year. He said, you're going to repeat. And I remember this is no exaggeration. When I was in the third grade, there was a kid in the third grade with me who was 14 years old. Dallas Austin nine. It's 14 in the third grade. And you know what? Mr. Hemp said, boy, you never went to school. I'm going to put you where you belong. But today we just promote kids. We've got these people in charge who won't hold anybody to, to standards. They won't hold the teacher's to standards. They won't hold a parent's to standards. And they don't hold a kid's to standards. So that's how you end up with a mess like we have in America. And they call it public education.
1: I call it a mess. All
0: right. Well, that seems like as depressing a place to end this conversation. <laughs> no, I'm, inspired.
1: I'm inspired. We, I, look, we need real talk. We, I mean, it's tough, but I hear you, man. Weird. I hear you. But we
2: started out laughing. We started
0: out laughing. At the end, I was depressed. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> hard to get me depressed. My opinion. Well, we appreciate your honesty, Ben. You have done the work. You've been on the ground. You're doing this teaching. And we hope, despite your age, you continue <laughs> as long as possible. <laughs> Pretend you're 21. Yeah. This has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer Riley.
1: And I'm Ian Rowe. Thank you, Ben. This is awesome.
0: Thank you. And you can get this podcast on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.